have to have trust in amongst a high-performing team. No trust, no teamwork, in fact. And then you look at, you value that divergent thinking and skills of a group. Phil Gunn brought that. Sport brings that. Group work inside organisations can do that. They can think differently and welcome those divergent thoughts. Okay, so welcome, welcome listeners and learners. And today we are very lucky because we have two people to chat to on this podcast. We have the very refined and excellent Dusty Miller, or Glenn is his real name, but we all call him Dusty. He's a friend, colleague, peer, mentor, and performance coach as part of the world of work that we all operate in. And he has an extensive background in the world of leadership, coaching, working with the rugby teams, RFU, Leadership Academy, and um, has since gone on to work with the English Institute of Sport as a performance mentor, working with all sorts of sporting teams in their quest to Uh, get to the Olympics or approach the Olympics and the highest levels of sport in the UK. So he's going to be a really interesting character to work with and listen to today. And then joining him, we've got our our old friend, my old friend and pal, Martin Fricker, who you all know, all these listeners will know and have already spent some time with Martin, working with him, learning with him, or indeed listening to some of the other podcasts that he's done as part of this Christmas gift series. So I'm happy to say that these guys know each other. They've got history, and we're going to dig into that a little bit. Um, I have no clue what they're going to say, but it'll be fun, it'll be interesting, and it might even be a little bit controversial in parts. Who knows? Uh, Let's see where we can take it. So, Dusty, would it be okay to go to you first and ask you to say a few words about the world of work for you? Yeah, so the world of work for me is a really fascinating space to work in, and uh, just to kind of dig a little bit deeper into the role that I have, um, in short, it's about helping people be the best version of themselves both individually and collectively as a group of people working together to achieve their own individual greatness and also team greatness. So I spend a lot of time in that space there, helping people maximize their own human performance to bring the very, very best of uh, results for the Olympic and Paralympic program. So I'm really fortunate to be in that space. And, and Martin, I, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking it would be really easy for me to make a whole load of assumptions about the listeners knowing uh, enough about you. But the reason that you're here today is because you have also worked extensively in that performance sports arena. And I just wondered whether you could say a few words about that with that flavour, because that's a niche that not everyone might know about you yeah i was fortunate enough to uh to have grown up as a, a sports player first and foremost and to have represented counties and stuff like that in a number of different sports um but more latterly when i became i i, I want to say 
too old to to play, but it's not true. I was still playing and learning at the same time that to operate at the highest levels, you had to have a certain mindset and and a certain belief in in one's own ability to get there. More importantly, it was recognizing that there were people there who could support that journey for me. And, And I went on to help others equally perform at the at a higher level than they ever imagined they possibly could do, as I experienced myself. And that's been, uh, it's been an honor, a privilege, and I've took so many lessons from that over the years, which have gone into any, many, many other areas of my life. And that's brilliant. So hearing that already, I'm thinking, okay, so let's start this off for the listener now. We're thinking um, we've got the best version of self. So that, that strikes a chord with all of us because we're thinking, well, everyone wants to get there. You know, I'd challenge anyone who said they didn't want to get there. Um, And indeed, if they've attended one of our programs and one of our learning experiences in a roundabout way, that type of discussion takes place, whether that's with a mentor, in a training room, online. We're always looking at those incremental changes that help us to be better. In fact, you wouldn't even be listening to this, would you, if you didn't want growth in some way, shape or form. So, um, and then the other start point is about mindset and what it takes to have that higher performing mindset and how we get there or we get on the journey to get there. So we've got a really nice place to start here. So, um, and I'm lucky enough to know that you guys have worked in those high performance environments and been in teams um, yourselves. You've led teams yourselves, but you've also been in the same team together at a point in time. So before we get to that part of the story, though, because that's the juicy bit for me, I want to know warts and all. Um, I, I Can I just pose the question? And this, again, is on behalf of the listener. So I, I want them to get to the end of listening to this and, and walk away with something and walk away with some ideas and reflections on what does it mean to be a high performing team? What does it mean? And I want, it, I want that from an individual perspective from you guys, if that's all right. Cool. If I start off on that space there, and I'm going to tie into something that Martin said when he introduced himself, and he used the word learning and to learn. Um, he didn't use curious, but in a way, I'll take it on. Mm. And so high-performing teams are teams, there are cultures, there are groups of people who individually and collective, collectively want to learn and have that thirst for, for learning and being curious about how to to, to develop and grow with each other and have healthy challenge with each other in that growing space. And so for me, it's that the ability for the individuals and the group to reflect on what they're, the, you know, the, the, either the actions they're carrying out or the experiences that they're having uh, and, and access that expertise within the group and from the leader of the group, if they're in that role of a leader, which allows allows the group to deliver a performance a performance impacting solution for that for, for the challenge that they face. And so yeah, certainly Martin and I have a shared experience in that space. So really wanted to hone in on that the 
the ability to learn and the encouragement by the role of the leader and everybody inside the group to learn together. Thank you. Yeah. And that's really, uh, it's insightful. And I'd just like to uh, touch on what you've said there, because in addition to what you've said there, the one thing that I always held, held uppermost in my mind was, you know, when you ask people, what is it you want? And they say, well, I want to win. I want to do this. I want to do that. that I'm a winner. And I used to smile at that, that term. I'm a winner. I want to win. And I always used to think, no, I so you see, I want you to be to prepare to win. You can't guarantee winning, but you can prepare to win. You can prepare to be successful. You can't guarantee success. So it's always about wanting to prepare. And it's the preparation. The journey is the bit for me, which creates the high performing team. And if they're prepared to go on the journey, the chances of getting success or even improving oneself is almost a given. Yeah. But there's so many people who get on the, get on the, or so many people in so many teams, they get on the journey and when they don't get success immediately, they want to jump off and do something else. Mm. And I think it's the, it's the mindset of being prepared to be on a plateau. Yeah. Knowing that, and that's preparation for me. Yeah, yeah. And so what you talk to them, Mine, is, is a lot of people will go and jump straight to the outcome, the outcome goal. So mm. we think about it and we go, do you know what? Winning this tournament and having the fastest time in the world ever, that means you must have been a high-performing team. Uh, well, no, actually, we were a high-performance team. We mm. performed very well for that outcome. But actually, when you go underneath the surface of the team and how they interacted with each other, were they safe and stable? Did they encourage divergent thoughts and practices? Well, they might or might not have not. But that's the, the piece that you're talking to there is the, not the what you do, it's the how, the how you interact with each other in a safe and stable way. And, you know, and, forgive, and forgive me, Martin, that's one of your uber strengths when I was working alongside you is your ability to inspire people to do things they didn't necessarily think they could do. And you talked to that in your introduction. Mm. So that, yeah, I, I, I connect with that really well. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm, I'm picking out there, so we've got a difference here between performing and performance. So can we, can we pick that apart? Can you guys pick that apart for us? Because I think that's going to really help people get a bit more clarity perhaps. Um, and there are different stages of performance. There are teams that are truly high performing and they don't even know it. Mm because they just don't take time to check in, take stock, et cetera. Or they, uh, or they can't accept the warts and all, that that is part of the high-performing mm, mm. achievement. So I wondered whether you could thrash that around a bit and get some real clarity out there for whoever's listening. Okay, so if I, if I start in that space around mm. performance, you know, and I, and I made reference to like a world record run, there is... You know, there's a sport where where um, the world record, 18 people working together, they perf the performance is the 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 actual job of work, and they performed very well. They achieved the world record. They won the competition. The performance was as good as it possibly could be, and so they were 
highly trained. They were highly trained, highly skilled at what they did. Um, so that's the performance, the outcome, if you like. Yeah. What we're getting to here around is the performing aspect of it. How do we interact together? How do we ensure longevity of team working? So if we take it to a different scenario and we think about uh, Olympic or Paralympic sports, they're very cyclic and they go in, in you know, over four years. We build up to our Olympic Games or Paralympic Games. And, and so we'd be working towards that performance. But the performing aspect of that is how do we get a consistency of performance over a number of years rather than just in that flash to bang happening in that moment of the performance? So they would be the two differences for me around performance is the output, performing is the how we go about that. Yeah. And, and, and what comes with both of those are different mindsets. Yeah. You want, you want to be the best and hold the world record, but the mindset of getting to one absolutely needs to meld with the other, but they don't always. Mm, mm, mm. And there's also that thing about the sum of all your parts, isn't there? And certainly in team sports or in team business, in business team, the sum of all your parts. You know, it's, it's, not, necessarily, it's not necessarily who's on the bus with you, it's how they are on the bus. Mm. And I would rather take people with a how that they want to be the best version of themselves rather than those on the bus that think they are the best version of themselves. Mm. Because actually I could work, I can work with people that want to learn, uh, want to communicate, want to be consultative. But I can't work with people who think they're already there because it's, that, that becomes its own challenge. The mindset is different. Mm. Absolutely. Well, 100%. And, and I've got a little story that, that sort of, talks to that from my perspective and 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 I, you know when I tell you this story there's a little bit of Martin ego in this um, for, for, for a number of reasons but um, in, in what we did before we became what we are now I was uh, I, I'd done I'd done this this challenging event for three years and, and you can only do it every three years and I'd done it three times. And I was coming for the fourth time. And the person in charge, the manager, the Alex Ferguson figure, had said, this year I've got this sorted out and I've got these quality people and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, great. And I walked in, breezed in as I, as I did, and I breezed out again. Having scanned the room, I breezed out again, went marching down to the, the office and said, I'm not seeing what you've said in terms of material, and this is manpower material. So I'm looking for stars and individuals with great quality who I respected as people that could do the job, the jobs that we had to do. And they weren't sat in that room. So my concern, my concern was, I'm doing this for the last time. I want to win. And remember, but listen to what I've done. I, I, I. So this is not high performance team development going on here this is this is me and and I, i've gone in there and i spoke to the, the manager and i said not happy not staying if that's the best you've got unless and 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 it came to me in a flash unless i can be influential within that team and being influential within that group of people and they weren't a team at the time but being influential amongst that group of people he would have to give me some level of power or whatever it might be to to help with the decision making process 
as I say, not not team, not high-performance team behaviours in any way, shape, or form. Any way, shape, or form. Mm. But my mindset was very much about about the outcome. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's really interesting there, Mark. So, you know, if I put myself in the shoes of the person listening to you, having walked down that corridor, banged on the door to tell me exactly what... And, and I'm in the role of the leader here, right? So I hear I have somebody who's clearly influential. Is that is, has the potential to be an informal leader. There's a reason why I wanted you in that room is because I know that you will inspire people to do things you don't necessarily think they can do. And so that's great. I've got an informal leader. I'm in the role of the leader, but you're one of the informal leaders. So my formal role, your informal role, to be clear. And what, and what he... My 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 assumption here is what he's done is he's taken stock of that and gone. Do you know what? That's cool. I'm going to give you a role that's going to allow you to do what you want to do that that helps me keep you here. So there is a clarity of role and responsibility in that. I'm still the manager, but you have now got a formal role in this because I'm giving you that formal role. Because with that clarity of role, you and I are going to work together to really pull this team up together. So my thing about high-performing teams is there has to be a clarity of role and responsibility for people within that team. Because without that clarity for everybody involved, teams won't perform at their highest ability because there will be infighting and, well, is that your job? Is it my job? And there's all of those things that happen in teams. And this is not sport now. This is teams. This is groups Mm -hmm. of people. But when we know what the, not necessarily what the hierarchy is, but the clarity of role, it allows us to pull together as human beings and be the sum of all our parts to create the overarching aim of whatever the outcome is. Good example, Mark. Really good. And, and, the, and, the, role, and the role was important. And he cleverly, cleverly, Seeded so much of, of, of what I would consider to be a responsibility, but not ultimate responsibility. Uh, and, 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 it, and, it, and it was perfect. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of nodding there, but people obviously listening can't see me nodding, but I'm agreeing vehemently with that. That's, that's a really, really clever way of, of the leader, the role of the leader, the, the, you know, your Alex Ferguson, as you called them, understanding what it's going to take to keep all of the parts together to make sure that the outcome is what everybody wants and what we're all going towards. And so and it takes me back to a time, similar story to yours in a way, which was when I go back to the, to the, to the year that I was involved at the very last year that the, 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 the competition we're talking about ran was um, I actually wanted to get on with my career and be and do my day job and go somewhere else and what and, and actually said do you know what I'm done I you know I need to get on with my career because it's, it's in a way it's beginning to hold me back and the and the and the, and the, the Alex Ferguson role of that time Nelly Frame who we all some of us we all know Nelly Frame at the time went it's okay Dust you come along come and join the team it'll be fine I'll sort you out afterwards and fast forward to when we all got together I wasn't named in the A crew I was named in the B crew and, you know, I was kind of like, whoa, wait a minute, what's happening here? My ego was really, really shot because I'd said I didn't want to come. You talked me into coming and then you put me in B crew and I wasn't even in the high performing A crew. But do you know what? Nelly was really, really cool and clever with that, wasn't he? As a leader, he went, do you know what? I definitely need Dusty on the bus. He might not be in the seat that he wants to be on or he thinks he should be on, 
but he'll be there one day. He will be there one day during this season because I've got to manage all the egos in the room. So Nelly very, very, very cleverly pulled together a team of people knowing that we're working towards a performance and his job, clarity of role, was to pull together to make us the sum of all our parts and keep all those egos in that room and keep them on the bus and then gently, slowly but surely, shuffle them around the bus in order to get that high performance. And the high performing aspect of the team was his bit to play around in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I have to say, uh, I, didn't, I didn't envy that role he had in that particular year. It's just, and I, and, I, and I'm, I consider myself to be pretty good at managing egos and things like that, but not that year. <laughs> you know, that would have been a, that's a step too far. So, so for the listener, this is good, this is, because we can have some fun now with some of the questions. So for the listener, we need to, to get, give the listener, what is this competition that you guys are talking about? I know what it is, but it would be great to, to sum it up nice and simply for the, for the people that are keen to think, oh, how can I get into that competition? Because it doesn't exist anymore, does it? It's no. history. Yeah, it is history. And it was, uh, we, we were both in the Royal Navy and we did what was known as the Royal Naval Field Gun Competition, which was a competition which depicted the Siege of Ladysmith back in the early, uh, sorry, the very early 1900s, actually, um, uh, 1899. And um, we, were a, we were fortunate, gifted uh, enough to be part of successful field gun crews uh, the, what, in a competition which was alluded to in the Guinness Book of Records as the toughest team competition in the world. Now, whether it was or whether it wasn't, it was tough. That's the only thing I can guarantee. It was a challenging, a challenging thing which, was, which took place at Earl's Court in London uh, every summer in the Royal Tournament and was, and this is not just my opinion, most probably the only bit which made it a tournament um, and not uh, not an exhibition. And uh, did we enjoy it? Yes. But <laughs> was it a challenge? Yes. Uh, did it build empathy? Did it build uh, friendships that have been long lasting? Absolutely. Uh, and to be one of, I think the number is 2,500 2, people to take set foot in that arena as a as a competitive field gunner is still something which I hold in high, uh, you know, as, as something which I'm, I'm really proud to have achieved. And just, just following on from Martin there, really, and kind of link it to what we're talking about today, it's really cool. So if you look about, if you think about the principles of high-performing teams, you know, high-performing teams are purposive and goal-directed. They have a purpose. They have a goal in mind. Field gun competition does that, you know, and, and it's and its later version, which still happens now in the Navy, is exactly the same. It might not be the same um, competition, a smaller version of it, but it still has the same thing. So the principle, purposive and goal-directed, two, trust. It, you, know, you have to have trust in amongst a high-performing team. No trust, no teamwork, fact. And then you look at, you value that divergent thinking and skills of a group. Field gun brought that. Sport brings that. Group work inside organisations can do that. They can think differently and welcome those divergent thoughts. 
Um, the processes that drive team working are massively important. They need to think about how do we work collaboratively to come become an outcome. Phil Gunn delivered that. Business delivers that. If you get the right high-performing team, you get the right team together, really cool. Um, and, and the last thing really is, is how do you adapt quickly? Because no, you know, in Phil Gunn, no two runs are the same. When you're bidding for business, no two bids are the same. And actually, like all the best plans, and Martin said this earlier on on the call, um, no plan survives first contact <laughs> or in the first five minutes, it changes. And actually, the high-performing teams are the ones that can adapt quickly. And so those principles that we talk to there are, uh, are in field gun, but actually they're in every single walk of our life when we do group work, in business, and in our development, both personally and together as a group. That sounds like my plan doing an interview with you two. It's all changed. I've got headlines on a card now thinking I must remember to ask him about this. So these are, these are good things. I've got some good words here. Um, I want to rewind just a tiny bit because everything you're saying is brilliant and I think it's really relevant for... Um, there are, there are people out there who may be thinking, when I get into, back to work in the new year, I, I am a member in this team and I want to change my impact or I am going into a new role and I want that leadership position in, a, in the shortest amount of time as I possibly can or thinking like, like Martin's piece of the story around walking into that crew room one day thinking, yeah, you're an interesting bunch. Not sure what I'm going to do with you. And, and we've got that mentality, which as you've already mentioned, that's, that's attached to ego, isn't it? Mm. And no matter where we are in all of those different types of scenarios, our ego, and I'm including myself in this, just completely trips us up. Mm. Or we go through phases of our career and life where our ego is consistently tripping us up. Um, and again, I, I'm in the mix there. So, so what have you got in your archives that taps into ego, a, a story, a lesson, an insight, whether it's been about yourself and your own ego tripping you up or yourselves, I should say, or just something that you've experienced that's been a massive learning around that whole piece because that I, I know that arena that you're talking about, so I can I can see it from an outside perspective and think I was scared to go and watch it. There's a lot of big characters. Ego, ego for me is 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 the enemy, uh, and I've said this for any number of years now. It, your ego can help you, but it can also trip you up hugely, and I call it an enemy. Uh, there's a book which has been written, uh, "Ego is the Enemy," and I. The, Sadly, the print in it is about that big, so it makes <laughs> a really difficult read, and there's about 300 pages of that. So, you know, a, mostly a thousand-page book in normal-size um, print. But I, I'll give you an example of, of how ego trips people up, and, and this is an ego from that space. Um, so, if I look at the crew that we ran for, the team that we performed for, and we were liked by both of the other crews. For what reason? I don't know. But it came to me, or I didn't know, but it came to me. We were egoless generally. 
we got on with people on both sides of the divide. We won, and when we won, people were quite, not happy, but they were happier that it wasn't the one team or the other team, but it was us, which makes it really interesting, made it an interesting uh, research thing for m myself. So there's Devonport, there's Portsmouth, there's the Fleet Air Arm. In Portsmouth, they fight each other. They challenge each other beyond, beyond just uh, mentally. They, uh, they believe they are the best, and yet their history, their record, their, their whole performance will point towards them not being the best. But their belief was always that we are the best and therefore their ego was tripping them up every step of the way, year on year on year. And it was something as a, as a trainer, as the manager of my team, particular team, I played on with them. And it made it really interesting that their performance, given the number of people that they could select from and the number of people that we could select from, we were so much smaller. We were most probably, in terms of, in terms of um, environment, they were like a Manchester United size, and we were most probably like a, a Sheffield United size in terms of in terms of ability to capture numbers and people like that. Our ability to buy people, you know, using the football analogy, and yet. We consistently outperformed them, especially in the final decade, decade of, the, of the field gunning uh, experience. We consistently outperformed them and the other team. I'm not sure about the other team in terms of their ego. I just think they were focused on, on what this one other team was doing. But certainly, certainly um, the ego got in the way of their performance year after year after year because they believed what they weren't, and they weren't prepared to put the work in, go on the journey together and bring everybody with them to get the results that they deserve to get for the numbers of people that they were able to bring into that environment. We, on the other hand, much smaller, much more, um, much more focused on, on, on the team, the environment we created, the, the, the buy-in of, of everybody. And that, for me, produced significantly better results. Um, ego, interesting one. Go back to my story about Nelly and um, there was a stroking of the ego to get me to go to field gun in that last year. You know, you are, you are the best at this number, Dust. We need you, we need you as part of the team. You know, and, and at that stage, I'm kind of like, do you know what? Yeah, you might need me, but I need to get on with my career because I'm definitely behind the drag curve when it comes to getting promoted. Uh, no, no, but we definitely need you, Dust, because you are the best version of this this particular job. Uh, crikey. You know, I'm, I'm my ego now is being stroked and stroked really, really well. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm in. You've got me, hook, you know, hook, line and sinker. But, but with that arrogance comes the fall, as always, with ego. And so when I was put into, into, into B crew in that when we were first initially named, uh, I am not going to lie, I went down the corridor, the same corridor that Martin walked down 15 years earlier. 
And I banged on the same door that Martin banged on and spoke to this, a different manager, but in that role and said, that you, you, you stroke my ego, you said this, I want to get on my career. I'm out the door, fella. I'm gone. I'm going back over and I'm going to get on my career because you haven't delivered what you said we were going to deliver. Uh, that manager went, hmm, who do you think you are? This isn't about you. This is about the team. And um, by the way, get back in your box. Quite forcefully, but respectfully. And so that's ego. Good example. You know, that's, I don't mind sharing that vulnerability mm. with you because the reality is it made me a better person that day. Mm-hmm. Because it was exactly what the ego needed, the bad version of Dusty, the worst version of myself. When I brought that to the table, it was um, in, a, in a conversation, in a, in, a, in a safe and stable way, the challenge was put up, the challenge was knocked back, get back in your box, this is about the team, it's not about you. And off you go. And do you know what? We had a good outcome in the end. I managed to run in the crew and all the other stuff that's history but it's a good example of how ego can get in your way because another person might have gone, it might have been Martin, might have gone, okay, yeah, fine, there's the door because you're not the type of ego we want here. So the way that, that Nelly mm-hmm. dealt with that, we, you know, speaks to, the, speaks, to the, speaks to the man and how he approached it and he's kind of like his leadership acumen. Mm-hmm. So ego is a really interesting one for me. And I, and I think for anyone who's, who's got that leadership position that might be listening to this, there's a piece in there for me. The takeaway for me is, or the question is, how evolved are you as a leader so that you can read those situations? Because you might have that in one individual, but you might have it in 15, <laughs> depending on the type of environment that you're working in, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is about sometimes that... that um, level of evolution and that's a consistent constantly evolving moving thing isn't it throughout our lives um and no and the, the benefit of hindsight you know 20 years ago we would have did it done it this way and now we're doing it this way because we've learned mm-hmm. so the evolved leader and reading egos is mm. and, and you know um just to speak to that that whole thing um and 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 back to the, the other team, Portsmouth, by the way. And <laughs> he's going to get well, people from Portsmouth banging on his door. <laughs> he knows them all. He's made friends find, with them all. We're all right. The way, they find a way for years to try and understand how we were so successful. So I, I've been tapped up a number of times way before I'd left the service. So, um, but what 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 Dusty just said about you could you, there could be fifteen of them, and 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 you know what. They had 15 of them like that. I'm not suggesting that they all were, but and in their own roles, when they got away from that space, they had different mindsets. But when they got together as a group, that was put on the back burner. That whole thing around caring for the person next to me, I mean, really caring for them and, and making them feel important. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, I can't, go on, sorry, Lou. Well, this competition was only open to men as well. So, and, and, and that's probably why they had to phase it out, you know, because women are taking over the universe. But um, uh, so for, um, and, and, you know, some people would argue the male and female ego, there, there's different elements to it. And let's just say that we are different. But equally, uh, uh, high octane environment where there are lots of female 
formidable characters is equally as tricky to to mm-hmm. manage you know mm-hmm. uh different dynamics different component parts etc um and if if there is anyone listening to this with with a role like that where they've got <laughs> every type in their team what give us a top tip what's a top tip I heard Martin say, uh, we care. And it was, the word care came out there quite, it just, you know, uh, I think in, in coaching terms, we call it a bit of leakage. You know, mm. it's, a kind of, it's a word that was kind of used, but actually it was leaked out rather than, you know. And actually, when you think about this, um, leaders who care about their people that work with them, not for them, engender this whole culture of some of all of our parts mm-hmm. so when I think about a role that I had in the Royal Navy where I was the only person on the ship who was responsible for the the human performance of the ship if you like the physical training instructor so it's the hearts and minds aspect of of of, of the ship's company my formal role was to help everybody be physically fit my informal role was to help people be the best version of themselves and be the heartbeat of the ship and so that could be that could be 150 people as it was on a submarine i wasn't i wasn't doing that job on a submarine but it's 150 people on a submarine or it's or it's 250 300 people on a ship or as many as a thousand but the role was to care to care for everybody on the ship and help them be the best version of themselves and and so the leaders that showed care and understanding and interest and vulnerability and able to show that they are learning every day how to be a leader and that they haven't got all the answers, but they know that the, the answer lies within the team as well. They're, 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 for me, they're the key aspects of, of leadership, the behavior of leading. That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal because it ties in, it ties in with a, a, an experience which again, from my military career, for sure, but but I, I, I was the hearts and minds man mm. on a ship with in, in excess of 1,200 people on mm. when when everybody was on board, including the air, air carrier group. And that ship had been to the Falkland Islands and uh, had, had one of the, a guy called, uh, uh, I don't know, JJ Black, Jeremy John Black yeah. was the skipper, and he went on to become an admiral, et cetera, et cetera. Great guy, great guy. He was taken, he, he, who followed him was a guy called Nick Hill Norton. And Nick Hill Norton, as, as nice a guy as he was to me, was on a journey. And uh, his father had been the first sea lord. And he wanted also to be a first sea lord. Now, Nick and JJ, both skippers, etc., uh, etc., et were on this journey. When we went to uh, on a Far East deployment, and we were traveling all over the Far East, Australia, New Zealand, uh, back to Australia, going off to Japan, we'd been to Penang and Bombay, etc. Great, great trip. And when we pulled into Singapore, the ship the ship had a problem with the shaft, and we pulled into Singapore, and I'd driven the ship in as as was my my job in times of challenge, and uh, 
the skipper had gone off the bridge down to his day cabin and sent from that said, Can you send a club swinger down? Me, PT, can you send a club swinger down once he's off the wheel? So oops, I thought we did a good job. Down I go, knock on his door, he can't join his sent brings me in and says, Clubs, have you seen the the, the, the newspaper? Well, obviously I hadn't because the, he gets them first. So I looked at it, front page, invincible problems at morale. People on the ship had been sending letters back to their, their families in the UK saying, this is shit, this is crap, this is uh, the skippers, this, the skippers, that. He said, what's the problem? <clears throat> so I'm a petty officer. He's a four-ring captain. It was very much like, uh, what, what story do you want, sir? Do you want the truth or do you want me to make something up? He said, I want the truth. So I laid it on the table how he was, what we felt, how the team were, was working together or not, how morale was, blah, 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 blah. And he went, <clears throat> okay, clubs. Next thing I know, I've got a call to the commander's office because obviously the commander runs the ship, essentially. And we talked about morale. We talked about uh, performance. We've talked about caring because mm -hmm. all those things were missing in his delivery but they hadn't been with Jeremy John Black. Hence that's that, that the zappers that were around the ship when I first joined it, they're in back with JJ Black. Yeah, yeah. So he cared, and yeah. he did. Nick didn't. He cared about getting as high as he possibly could, yeah, yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. the people that he was leading at that time. So, you know, I think it's a great, what you've just said there, played out nicely, mm. visually, in that space with both between those two men that I happened to work under mm. in a period of sort of a year. Yeah. And, and, and the outcome from both. So once one, one had taken a ship to war into the Falklands and spent six months at sea, one would be on a jolly around the Far East. <laughs> and yet the morale of the ship's company and their desire to perform was totally different. Mm. Uh, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I mean, in the work that I do now and in working with the leadership as I do inside those Paralympic and Olympic sports is we explore how how you bring your best version of yourself as a leader and how, you know, lead, be, being the leader is a role and leadership as a behaviour. And we yeah. spend a lot of time exploring the behaviour. And, and in that, we talk about um, the, the importance of being authentic being your true self mm -hmm. warts and all including your vulnerabilities and the ability to share some of those vulnerabilities but not overshare anything mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's getting that balance right and and when it when it comes to, to working with a team so you want your team to strive for excellence that and the team for, to deeply care about each other um I, you know i often at the, sort of towards the end of my conversations at, at that stage we're having a conversation is, is around actually the important thing is to know your people mm. and to really know your people and so in the times that we are in now where i've got leaders leading teams remotely as we are having a discussion today it's how do you create the casual collisions that you would normally have in your work environment those water cooler moments, those cups of coffee, how do you, re you know, recreate those? Well, you have to be quite deliberate. And if, and if, you're, if you're the leader and you say, oh, right, Thursday morning, 10 o'clock, cup of coffee, 
and then you have a cup of coffee with Dusty for an hour, and all you do is talk to me about my work. That's not a casual collision. That's a, that's a that's a performance development review, if you like, yeah. a PDR. Yeah. So actually, what we want you to do is just pick up the you know have a have a deliberate casual collision for half an hour and have a cup of coffee and talk about the dog, the cat, the 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 weather outside, or you know how's your mm-hmm. family, anything you know that type of stuff. Be curious about each other. You know, care deeply, care. That's amazing. That is amazing what you just said there. Because again, if I go back to Jeremy John, uh, I remember being in Portsmouth Harbour, uh, tied alongside on a, on a wet Tuesday afternoon, and there was a clip clop coming down the down the you know around the passageway. On a horse, and, was he? Yeah, he was actually. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he next thing, no, but the next thing, listen, you don't know who it is at this moment in time. The next, thing, the next thing you know is a. Uh, I've got the skipper sat in a chair in my little office, me and Chick Stewart, too, the two PTIs, and the skipper's walked in. He's like, Jesus Christ, what does he want, you know? <laughs> and he's uh, how's it going, Clubs? What's going on? What's news? Can I get a cup of coffee? You know, that sort of thing. And he starts talking about everything apart from the ship. But but beyond that, this and this is the, the story evolves because he's gone out of there and for, for Unbeknown to me, I've I've gone down to the uh, the seamen's mess to 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 get some, to get something, and I've gone in there and he was sat in the mess square, but Jeremy John having another cup of tea with the guys. But the upshot of that, and this is the bit really important, when we were going to see next, and I'm sat on the bridge doing my bit, Jeremy John asked this young seaman how his auntie flipping Annie was. So how's your auntie Annie these days? And this, I can see this seaman's face go, what? Oh yes, I remember talking about that down in the mess deck square. Now, if you don't walk your patch as a leader, you don't get that information. And so many leaders want to sit in the ivory tower and they'll never know their people unless they get out there. And therefore, trust doesn't build. Yeah, and then yeah, and there's a yin and yang in it because actually some leaders, do, do, you know, the, the way we work these days, it's so full on, it's so hundred percent, you know, it's all the time. So it's it's trying to have deliberate time. Normally, you know, if I think back to my time at England rugby, you would often see those leaders that would have those water cooler moments quite deliberately to just kind of get a feel for what's going on. You know, mm. we we know um, if you think about you know the security services, what what are they really really good at? They're really good at piecing information together. They're not, they're not intelligence officers. They're information officers. They take lots of information from all over the place, apply their intelligence to it, and come up with a picture. And that's what the good, good quality leaders do. They have casual conversations. They get a little snippet of information here. They care about their people. They pick up some information. They apply their intelligence to that information and make sound decisions that the team are going to coalesce behind. Why? Because... Remember when you said this, Dusty, in that little conversation? Well, look, this is what we're going to do as a result of that conversation. And mm. I go, crikey, boss, that's a great idea. Well, of course it is, Dusty. It was your idea. It was a part of your idea, Dusty. I've applied my intelligence and my, my, my six-figure salary to it, and now we're going somewhere with it. <laughs> but I go, I'm connected to that. Sorry, Lou. No, what if, Dusty, then, you've got somebody and it is just... They've got to dig deep to create those situations where they've got to go and have the chat 
or they've got to find that moment in time where it feels right because it's just not their natural preference. Mm -hmm. And they're slightly more, perhaps, let's just make this up, more of an introversion preference. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they don't care, but it's just more tucked away on the inside. So behaviorally, the world, the world potentially could judge them a little bit more because outside we see this behavior as, oh, he's a bit of a closed book or she's, she always keeps her door shut. She's, a, she's got a um, poker face. You know, there's all that, yeah, isn't there, yeah. in society. And, and now we've got more barriers to communication because mm-hmm. we're living in this virtual world where we can't even touch each other on the arm or chink glasses or whatever it is so i'd like to see i'm taking it down the alcohol route now but but what is it so what's the tips if you have a preference for saying less or or not having those chats so go on mark no so my, my my thing would be how do how do i make people feel important you know because when people feel important that 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 example that Dusty just gave about, you know, the idea, by using that idea, he feels important. So how do we go out and get make people feel important? In the virtual world, how do we do that? By communication. Communication is absolutely key, isn't it, in all facets of what we do. It runs through everything we do. Mm. So therefore, as a leader, mm. you be... Be you an intro, be your preference be introversion or extroversion. You have to communicate so that people feel important. Mm-hmm. I know what I would, you know, if I was delivering a leadership program, I would say if you've got the word manager or leader on your, your job description, then you're getting paid to make that sort of stuff happen, whether you like it or not. So I am very much of the the, you know what, you got to get on with this, like it or not. But we might have to find some different strategies and yeah. dig deep and do it in a different way. But yeah. if you're taking the paycheck, my view is, I'm being controversial now, get on with it, make it happen, find a way. Mm. And you've got to get it wrong to get it right. Yeah, so, so there, are, there are things that, you know what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm introverted in nature. I'm um, and more, me, me I'm too. more than happy to be in my own space, in my, you know, and, and I'm quite comfortable with that. You know what the you know the 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 likes of uh, Andrew Burns, Jan Burns, who we know, who delivers the likes of Jan Burns and Ivan Torpy and those types of people. They helped change me. The Martin Frickers, the Nelly Frame. I can think I could reel off a name of people that helped change me, be the extrovert that I needed to be to do the job that I did. But to go back to your question around introversion versus extroversion. Um, Regardless of what type you are, as a leader, you will always you will always have somebody who you connect with and, and you are trusted in your, in your inner sanctum. And it might be as an extrovert, you might have loads of people in that, but as an introvert, you might have two or three. But that's cool. That's not a problem. Going back to our informal versus formal leaders in in amongst the group, clever um, a clever way to approach this with if you're an introverted character is to understand who the informal leaders are. Have a have a genuine relationship with those informal leaders and and let them influence the group. Mm. So you can still be that introverted person that you are because you don't feel comfortable being out the front, and that's okay. Some things you have to be out the front and challenge yourself to do. And my job would be, or our jobs as 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 people developers and helping them be the best version of themselves, would to challenge them that sometimes you have to be 
extroverted in nature, so on and so forth. But if you're if you're if your preference is to be introverted, you will have an inner sanctum of people that you work with in that team. And some of those will be informal leaders and you can influence gently via a third party. And that would be okay because you'd be permissioning that in mm. with them. Mm. And that's leading, that's the, or some would call that the leadership from the, the rear, isn't it? So you stand mm. at the rear, you're keeping that, that, strategic view you're looking at the horizon and your front men are doing the the stuff with the troops and reporting back mm. sounded it, very it, military then louise what's going on you want louise? <laughs> <laughs> very military <laughs> okay okay right so oh god there's so many things to talk about and and i'm gonna we're gonna carry on for another 10 minutes gents if that's all right is that okay roll, rock and roll Brilliant. Okay, so I've got on my notes here, I wanted to talk about the slightly different tangent, but this, this I guess, underpins everything that we're talking about here. Um, and there, there are two things, actually. One is about the trust. I want to come back to that, yeah. the word trust and the meaning of it for you guys. And let, we'll have a look at what the differences are for each of you and whether there's any stories. And the other one is about the power of positive language in um, developing groups or teams or well individuals we know that works um, but the power of positive language in teams uh, there's been lots of research to talk that um, that looks at failure rates um, and by simple adaptations in our language use of linguistics to make them more empowering more emotionally intelligent they, they, they are going to create the performance output that we were talking about earlier. So I wondered whether you had any views and whether you had any stories. I know Martin has because we've touched on this recently around um, the, the change in language that, that you utilise during the field gun to create higher output powerful with, output with my uh with my my erstwhile friends who i'd walked out walked out on and walked down the corridor i was ready to disappear yeah my, my 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 attitude was very much around if i'm to be their in crew leader then then i have a responsibility and and a role pre everything we did which would have an influence on their mindset and their, their, their preparation to perform. And my language did change. My language changed hugely around that. And it had come from some, from some years of studying hypnotherapy and, 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 and how that had influenced my mindset around performance. And I was able to get them, to, they bought in to whatever it was I said. And what I was saying to them as, as my belief in them was very much around, we can do this if we pull together, firstly, if we believe in ourselves and our ability to perform. So my mantra had been from early years as a field gunner was, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best in my position in all three crews. And if we can all adopt that attitude, whether I was or not, is irrelevant. I believed that I could be. 
I would be. And my, my, my performance would be exemplary. And my support of my crew members would be exemplary. So, so my, my, my big role was to get people to believe in their ability to perform at the highest level. And, and only believe that they were performing for the people around them, the other 17 people around them, because they were only 17 people that mattered. What was going on across the track, what was going on in the opposition was irrelevant to our performance and our ability to, to look after one another to produce the performances which were required. So my language was always about how good we were, about performing consistently. About, about delivering our highest level of performance on a consistent basis such that it became boring. And if we could be boring each other in what we did, then our performance was freaking perfect, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And they bought into it. They bought into it and, and, and the performance became boring. They were. And, and to produce a... And nobody knows about this apart from those people who run, but to produce 245s consistently and to be, be bored by that and not excited by that was the ultimate goal at that time. Mm. Because knowing if we could do that, you could certainly step beyond that when, when adrenaline kicked in. But it was, yeah. always about, it was always about just doing that stuff, not worrying about speed, just worry about performance and the stuff that you had to do as an individual to the best of your ability. So, so what are we saying there? It's about the power of creating uh, a belief system, a belief structure or some new beliefs that through the power of linguistics. Yes. And the change or uh, uh, empowering language that enables us to think differently removing negative influences for for each individual yeah yeah and tailoring it accordingly is what i'm yeah. hearing there okay yeah. dusty what what have you got on that thousands so uh you know let, let's go so a couple of things there mind some of the things you're there about buying in buying into something some people would associate that with negative behaviors because mm. you're as if you're selling something so you're coercing them into doing something but that's cool because that's a that's a point of difference but what you're describing there, absolutely. And so if I take that on to, to, a, to a different level in a different space, uh, reflective practice and the art of reflection. And you know what? We used to just look at sport and reflect on, on the performance of sport and say, that was wrong, this was wrong, that was wrong. And why did you do that? And why, what, you can't put your hand there. You've got to put your hand here. You can't kick the ball like that. You can't pass the ball like that. You've got to do this. And what we've done We've learned from industry, reflective practice, the ability to focus on the even better if reflective mm. practice. So encouraging our leaders who work with teams to focus on the, the unintended consequences in the planning phase and the reflection in action. So when something is going on at the time, you reflect in action and then the ability to reflect on a project or a sport or a performance and the ability to reflect on that in a positive way, which is it was good, but how could we improve it for next time? Mm. Always then the language is always based around a positive outcome for the future. It's always future thinking rather than 
looking back. So we're future focused rather than history focused. Because if mm. we look back, we tend to look back at, in reflection, we tend to look back at the things that went less well. And what we really want is the good stuff. So the coaching questions are, so what do you want in the future? How does yeah. that look in the future? How mm. does that sound? How does that, how do you think that might feel when you've achieved that type of thing? Yeah. So and just to summarise what you just said there, Dusty, as well, are we talking pre, during and post reflection? So throughout that end to end process, we thought about what we wanted here. Yeah, we did it while we were en route, and at the end, we surmised it and we worked out what we'd learned, etc. Because, mm -hmm. and the reason I mention that is because this week has been the resilience week on our Slack channels, and the lovely mm -hmm. yeah. Kate Fisma has been chatting mm -hmm. um, about that. But you know, she talks about reflection as a superpower, a leadership or self. Mm -hmm. Mm. self superpower you know um, and weirdly enough i reckon you're clairvoyant but i'm going to show this on the screen my final question was about kate this week um if you know with that superpower of reflection in mind um if you had your time again I think that's a bit of a naughty question, actually. But if you had your time again in a given scenario, how do you think you'd use reflection? Now I've got to get you to reflect, to think about that. So have a moment if you need it. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a really great question. And and sometimes I, I, you know, I cogitate in that space about, actually, what would I do? What would I do differently with, you know, in, in any given moment? But, you know, I, I, in fact, I talked to um, Sasha, my wife, this morning about a sliding doors moment and so when when my um my second in command on the ship called me into his office when i was a very very young new out of the box physical training instructor on his ship and he said hey dusty um you've got the ability to be a, a, a naval officer and i think you should consider that and my response to him was quite innocently and naively was no, no, sir. It's great that you think like that. Thank you. But actually, it needs to be a PT officer, physical training officer that makes that decision. You know, when I replay that back to myself today, I go, oh, why did I, why did I say that? Because his response, obviously, quite rightly was, yeah, you're probably right. It probably does need to be a PT officer. Because at that moment, I wasn't ready for that step. And so the art of reflection, when I reflect on that now, it would have been great be, with the skills and the experience and the knowledge that I have now, it would have been great to me to, for me to have said to him, and what would be the unintended consequences of that, sir? Or something along those lines that made me think and was to have to have a conversation about, well, you won't have a full physical training career, but you might have an opportunity to go and do this. And, and so, but there was never that conversation because I wasn't mature enough to think in that way and reflect in that moment mm. that's an interesting one um my, my reflection it, it, and it touches on what you mentioned earlier on Lou, about trust and and uh when uh, as a leader in my world you've got to be prepared to take decisions which are difficult personally um for the benefit of and uh, of the uh, the outcome but more importantly the team cohesion. And I've got a, a wonderful story where I, I had to sack somebody who was a very close friend, somebody who I'd shared uh, a house with, um, with somebody else. Um, he'd, he'd, he'd worked with me before. Um, 
He'd, he was, I was there when he met his wife. We, you know, really close relationship. Mm-hmm. And I badgered to come and do something. Uh, and, and I'd made them, I'd given them the role that I'd had in a previous, but ultimately the, the rest of the team were looking at me and saying, that person is holding us back. What are you going to do about it? They, none of them articulated that, but I took that decision that, okay, this is, this is about them, not about me and my relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. I sat them. I had many, many, many sleepless nights about how I would approach that based on our personal relationship and not on the relationship. So my, my reflection is, I should have been only thinking about the team and and how and how it would impact them as a group of people, not how it was going to impact me. Yeah. And it took me a while to get to that space. And so you touched on trust there, Martin, which brings me to kind of, I guess, my kind of wrapping up thing around is, and I talked to a lot of teams and we did, did some work with you guys over the summer about um, building a team and putting them together was really being explicit about trust and you know what is trust and, and actually you can only ever move at the speed of trust in any relationship with it with it one-on-one in a group you can only go at the speed of trust and the speed of trust is yours to give you yeah. can only give trust you can't earn it you can only give it and so you've just got to be the best version of yourself, bring the best version of yourself. You can give trust to people and, and hope that it, it gets reciprocated. So you move at the spit. And sometimes it'll be slow. Sometimes it'll be fast. But that's cool because it's yours to give. And you just, you know, you go with that flow of giving that trust over. But you can bet your bottom dollar that speed of trust goes like that. And a slip of your fingers. That mm. speed of trust disappears because of an action. And that's yours to lose. And I think that when lead, you know, leaders and leadership, when you're in that space and you're in that moment, you help everybody understand you're moving at the speed of trust and recognize that, bang, it goes in an instant, in an instant, if you yeah. don't pay attention to the speed of trust. No, I hear that hugely. And, and, and you, met, you touched on there that you can only ever give trust. And, and I needed them those those mm, 18 mm, people mm. or in fact it was more than 18 because it was everybody that was there that had to know that i would do make take the right decision for their benefit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not for my benefit yeah and 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 they had to give me their trust you're absolutely right there 100 percent and i think that is a nice place to kind of like start to close the conversation because that's a massive subject. And I think I, it's taken me on a bit of a mental journey, the word trust, actually, because we're either we go through phases where we're either really good at it or really not. And that, that's definitely a word worth exploring on my part. Um, I, I, you know, I've got lots of stories I could tell about whether I haven't been that in spades you know mm-hmm. i carry that around in a very heavy bag unnecessarily yeah. at times uh, and i want that to be a lovely place to close because when people get to meet you guys um during our team dynamics team performance virtual learning yeah they get to explore that in a bit more detail they get to work out what their relationship is with that thing that is trust 
And sometimes, is it fair to say that, you know, as coaches, we, um, we're helping people to develop that, whether it's trusting themselves or trusting the people around them. We're helping people explore their relationship with that thing. So, so I want people to leave this podcast, leave this listening, thinking, do you know what? I might have a little look at that. I might do a bit of work on that. And um, while I'm here, I'm going to say if they want to get in touch with you guys and drop you a note on Slack or email or contact me to get to you, that's absolutely fine. They can do that because it might just be that they need a bit of a check-in and a chat from a mentoring perspective on that word alone. Or I've got this diverse team. They're spread out all over the country. Virtual technology is my only way of reaching them. What what can I start to think about that I haven't up until now? Um, I want to leave that door open for people to go there. And there, there'll be more to follow from you. We'll get you back and do another chat, I reckon. But I'd like to say thank you. Thank you very much. And before I let you go, what would you like to say before you leave? Um, for me, thank you for the past hour, hour and 20 minutes or, or so. Uh, I've enjoyed being on the journey with you. Um, I think it's a start point for a conversation like all of this. And my final point is, is that we're always learning in this space so it doesn't stand still. And so the things that we've talked about today are experiences but they're not the answers. They're just a start point for another conversation. That would be my final part. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I, I think, uh, ditto, I've enjoyed the conversation, uh, despite my reticence originally uh, to, to, to partake. Um, it's been it's been a, a trip down memory lane in many ways. Um, I, often, I often, people often ask me, are you a good leader? And I think, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. Why would I know? Because I, I do what I do with myself, and 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 what I do with others, I hope touches the right spots and gets them to perform at the levels they need they need and want to perform at. Whether I'm good at it or not is irrelevant. What is important is that people get from me what they need in any given moment to be the best version of themselves that they can be. And I would I would urge anybody in a leadership position, supervisory position, to take on that mindset. Mm. Because if, if they're getting what they need to be their best version, then, then you're golden. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, to you both. Well, I'll be seeing Martin anyway, but I might not see you, Dusty. So Merry Christmas. And to Thank you. you. Tomorrow, Rebooters, I'm going to be chatting to the wonderful Sherry McGregor. And I'm very proud and privileged that she is going to be joining us because she happens to be a great friend of mine and somebody who is also a professional that I visit regularly for general healthcare and that job that we all have of looking after our anatomy. And not only does she help me to look after my anatomy, but she also gives me what I believe to be the very best healthcare and well-being advice, tips and management solutions that you could possibly imagine. I can't even begin to tell you how amazing this lady is. So tune in, press play, have a listen, and I'll meet you there.